This is the Blood Red podcast from the Liverpool Echo, giving you the inside track on all the big talking points from Anfield. Hello and welcome to the Blood Red podcast, courtesy of the Liverpool Echo, as we get set to discuss Jamal Lewis, the canary who's hoping Liverpool pluck him from his Carrow Road nest. We'll get into why the Reds want him so much after Norwich rejected their opening £10 million bid. Plus, we'll discuss where else Jurgen Klopp could look to strengthen on the day Liverpool unsurprisingly dominated the nominations for the Premier League's end-of-season awards. Joining myself, Guy Clark, to do all of that are Sean Bradbury, Theo Squires and Matt Addison. Chaps, how are we all keeping? Very well. I was loving Carrow Road Nest. <laughs> Always. I, I, I hope I- Ah, we could have ended the pod there, to be honest. Well, Sean, when you're with us, I always try my best to impress you with the uh, the opening link, and I'm glad that one hit the mark. Matt, how are you keeping? <laughs> yeah, very good. That's uh, certainly put a smile on my face. It was not quite as smooth when I was uh, doing the pods while you were away last week. Well, we we all try our best. And Theo, you, you're looking pretty dark there, mate. You paid the electric bill? <laughs> yeah, I've got all the lights on. I think it's just the way this room is. It's because I'm on the Wirral, obviously. We're still uh, a bit far behind Liverpool, clearly. Yeah, it looks. I think you got a lamp there set up in front of you. It looks like it's it's candlelight, but I'm sure we'll be absolutely fine. Matt's enjoyed that one. Um, yeah, a bit like Halloween horror yeah. stories. <laughs> yeah, sometimes it's when you're on the pod, mate. But anyway, let's uh, <laughs> let's get into things. It's been a lively start. Sean, we'll we'll crack off with crack on with you then, and. Um, straight away the big talking point this week and I suppose the reason we're all laughing and joking at the beginning of the podcast is because we've got some actual tangible transfer news to speak about this week Absolutely yeah uh, Mr Lewis didn't didn't really necessarily see this one coming did we I suppose obviously we knew Liverpool were going to be looking for some kind of uh, fresh face at left back to try and provide some cover for Andy Robertson but well, yeah Jamal Lewis his name has, has, has emerged there's a, an actual bit of transfer news as you say and yeah, quite quite a few updates so far this week, which, which Paul and others at our place have reported on. Uh, Ten million offers got in to Norwich for Lewis. Um, that's been rejected. Seems like Norwich are holding out for twenty million. Um, both these written that the Reds are hoping some kind of compromise can be can be thrashed out, um, and suggestions that a significant sell-on clause will be inserted as part of the deal. So, so yeah, ho- hopefully somewhere between this ten and twenty, with with the extra bits that Liverpool are offering, can be. Um, can be thrashed out, yeah. I mean, I suppose on the face of it, signing a Norwich defender is a bit of a gamble, isn't it? When when you've conceded however many goals it was, seventy five this season, and finished rock bottom. But um, I say that as well as someone who was fully fully on board with the Canaries this season. I remember after that game, after the four one at Anfield, kind of thought they they had a little bit about them. And I know looking back at it, Liverpool four 0 up at half time, weren't they? Maybe maybe that should have been the key takeaway from that game. But but yeah, I thought in the first half they were all right, and they, they came out in the second half and gave a good account themselves. Pooty got his goal and. Um, yeah, it just didn't really turn out like the, the, the threat that they seemed they posed in that game carried into the rest of the season. But um, yeah, in terms of Lewis, I suppose it's one way you've just got to give Michael Edwards and the recruitment team the benefit of the doubt. They've, they've proved themselves time and time again that they can see see something in a player where maybe the surface level appearance isn't isn't you know spectacular. Um, but like I say, we've been here before with with Shakiri, one Alden Robertson, you know, relegated players who've maybe been a bit of a rough diamond in a, in a team that wasn't. All, all together too, too good in terms of his performance level. Um, yeah, and, and Lewis, he's, I think, you've seen bits and bobs from him, haven't we, this season? Um, clearly a confident ball carrier, very athletic young player. Um, and Klopp and Cole, I think they'll, they'll back themselves to add the finishing touches to his game and bring some more end product to it. And 
Yeah, I, I just think overall to sum up on it, it's another case of like marginal gains really for Liverpool, isn't it? Because we've said countless times on these pods that it's so hard really to improve this squad. But one thing you could do, you could certainly argue that Robertson is, is the only member of the squad who hasn't really got a like-for-like like rotation option um, in some form. Obviously, we see Milner come in at left-back. Uh, Williams did recently, didn't he, since the, since the restart. And one or two others, but no one who's really a, a kind of thriving left-footed option who begins to offer anything like Robertson does. Um, so, yeah, there is hopefully if they can get this deal over the line, he'll, he'll come in, make Liverpool a bit more competitive in the cup competitions perhaps and, and get his chance occasionally to allow Robertson to have a breather. That, that's an important point as well, isn't it? Robertson's played almost 100 games in two seasons, I think, and Liverpool have gone at record-breaking pace over those past two campaigns. And there is maybe, uh, not, not a concern in terms of anything we've seen in recent weeks, but you look how City dropped off last term and um, you, know, you don't want Liverpool to do the same. So anything that can provide a little 1% or 2% extra is, is welcome. And hopefully Lewis can do exactly that. Yeah, you were saying there about the uh, getting on board with the Canaries early doors. You certainly were with the office fantasy football as well, and that played out a bit like the Canary season, I suppose, Sean. You were riding high to begin with and and then fell <laughs> away towards the end. But Matt, this this week as well with this transfer news, of course, on Monday's pod, we each picked players from the relegated sides that we wouldn't mind seeing rock up at Anfield. And Jamal Lewis was a topic of conversation. And it sort of seemed after that there were a few links on Tuesday with Ishmael Assar that we'd also spoken about. And then on Wednesday, this seems to really have picked up pace over the last sort of two days or so. Yeah, I'm not sure we can take any credit for that, to be honest. I think Jamal Lewis was a fairly sort of obvious choice for, for people to pick. But yeah, he's, he certainly, I know Josh Williams wrote something, didn't he, um, possibly yesterday on on sort of the similarities really between Lewis and, and Andy Robertson. And when you sort of go into the data and, and the tactical side of things, it, it really does start to make sense. And you know, we've seen some sort of suggestions that he could potentially play at centre-back as well. Maybe Liverpool have got that in their mind. Obviously, primarily, he's a left-back. And you know, we've seen links with Lloyd Kelly, another one that we spoke about on Monday. He's primarily a centre-back, but can also play left-back. So it's obviously a position that you know Michael Edwards and, and Jurgen Klopp have picked out as being one that needs strengthening. I think you know, that was fairly obvious. There's not too many gaps in this Liverpool squad, but I suppose a, a left-footed defender probably was one. I think Robertson's the only left-footed defender that Liverpool have got at the moment. So obviously that was a, a sort of gap to, to sort of fill. And the suggestion really from Jamal Lewis's side of things appears to be that he's happy to, to come in and, and be that rotation option. And I think for next season, you know, that's obviously slightly different as well. The fact that next season is going to be quite short compared to what it normally is. You know, we're going to start later. Uh, the start of the season is going to be the 12th of December. Liverpool pretty much are going to be playing two games a week, every week. And, you know, as Sean said, Robertson's played nearly 100 games over the last two seasons. You can't expect him to play every game again next season. You know, it's going to have to be a case of, of people swapping in and you know, as much as we like players like James Milner or, you know, Nico Williams and players like that, to have an actual left-sided natural player to come into that position, you know, that's exactly what you need to see because obviously you're not going to get anybody as good as Andy Robertson or who does the job in the exact same way. But if you've got someone who is 22, is obviously going to have that trajectory of, of being able to get better and potentially Matt Robertson, certainly in the, the style, if if not the actual end product and the actual numbers, I think that can only be a really, really good thing for Liverpool going forward. And you know, it, it should give them that, you know, that little extra bit of balance. And 
for me, the fact that Liverpool are going to have so many games in quick succession next season meant that you know they didn't have a choice but to go for someone like Jamal Lewis. So, yeah, fingers crossed that the sort of price tag can get done and we see the deal go over the line. Yeah, on the point then, Theo, that Sean's made on the, the marginal gains and Matt there about the condensed fixture list for next season. I suppose it proves that even with winning the league by 18 points, there are places and gaps within this squad that Jurgen Klopp can still improve, even if it isn't the first 11. Well, most definitely. Like I think um, you'd expect Manchester City to be a lot closer to Liverpool next season. Uh, we've already seen signs that they're going to spend big this summer. They're going to strengthen that squad. I think we've seen quotes from Pep Guardiola that he wants like five new arrivals. And you look at that Manchester City squad and it's always very strong. There's always such depth. And Liverpool don't have that. They don't have the two men in every position. They've just got a very good start in 11 with the reserve options where they need it. And it is like the obvious next step for Liverpool to strengthen that depth depth, so they can carry on building this momentum and still keep challenging at the top. Um, it's an interesting turn of pace for Liverpool because for so long, left-back has been the problem position. Uh, we were seeing new arrivals virtually every summer and they just weren't up to scratch. They weren't very good. You think back to, say, Ali Sissoko, Paul Konjewski, Emiliano and Sewer go back years throughout this and they're just not good enough and there was a new arrival every summer. And now it's got to the stage where it's almost a problem position again just because Andy Robertson is so good. It doesn't matter who you get in. They're not going to be able to do that role. Uh, going back to Manchester City, Pep Guardiola pretty much seems to sign a new fullback, doesn't he? Every year, every two years, spends a lot of money on his fullbacks and they're either not up to scratch or they just can't do enough to usurp the first choice options. So he has to go back into the market. And Liverpool, they don't seem to really want to do that. They don't want to go for the short term. They want this long term option. It would be very easy to go for an experienced head. But when Liverpool's fullbacks, they need to have so much life about them. They need to have the energy. They need to be so attacking. You need someone who's going to be at the top of the game and going to get better. So that's sort of out the market for them. And what we said here about this big sell-on clause, if it does happen, well, you're basically saying to Jamal Lewis here, you're going to take something special to get Andy Robertson out of this team. But two years for Liverpool, you might not play every game, but you're going to get a big move out of it. And that's really how they're going to have to approach it. It's a very interesting way to do it. And then looking at them going to Norwich, I suppose for Liverpool, when we've got all these uh, coronavirus pandemics, we don't know how they can go about and market. It's an easy move for them to sort of do, as we've seen them do in the past, because it's almost an arrogance in how they approach the transfer. It's this how they can bully the relegated teams. Like you can want a tip player from a mid-table team and hope that he'd want this move. But if this team's challenging for Europe, they're not going to want to sell. As you go to a team that's been relegated to the championship, you think well, they might need a bit of money and there's no way a player, when he's got any team in the Premier League wanting him, is going to want to stay put. So it's one definitely to keep your eye on and see what Liverpool can do. Um, 10 million looked a bit cheap, didn't it? 20 million looks a bit high. So hopefully there's a decent middle ground there. Yeah, interesting point that Theo makes there as well, Sean. I was, I was going to throw in there, playing devil's advocate, I suppose Liverpool want to be wary that they don't become victims of their own transfer success when you think immediately to left-backs and that Andy Robertson deal it is sort of the pin-up one that Michael Edwards has pulled off from signing players from relegated sides, having got the players so cheap and obviously Kevin Stewart going to, to Hull City. There's been a bit of talk that Yasser Larucci may be thrown in as a bit of a bargaining chip for the Reds, but... Norwich will have their wits about them in making sure that they get the best deal that they possibly can. And with Stuart Webber, their sporting director, they've they've got someone who knows the market there himself as well. 
Yeah, absolutely. But I think, as we've already seen in this window, I think the the price that Liverpool got for Lovren, which was, I think that was about 11 million, wasn't it? So if if things go Liverpool's way in this negotiation and the price comes more towards that 10 million with this clause than, than sliding the other way towards Norwich's desired 20 million, you could potentially see a situation where Lovren is sold um, and, and Lewis is brought in for around the same amount of money, which, you know, for a, for a, Aging, albeit you know, competent fourth choice centre back going out, and then a, a much younger, um, up and coming fullback cover coming in. You'd, you'd probably take that if that's how it, if that's how it all turns out. But yeah, no, the, the, I'm sure Norwich will will drive a bit of a hard bargain. But I think the other thing which which we've perhaps not touched upon yet is there's there is talk that Liverpool are, are tracking other players at least for this position. Um, I was hoping that this wouldn't fall to me try to pronounce this guy's name, but uh, Costas Simicas. I'm going to go with that. Um, he's one who's, who's, who's been out there. Um, Olympiak has fallback. Who's um, again? I think he's 24, so you know the right age profile. Uh, played a bit of European football for them over the last couple of seasons. I think he's. I can't claim to know too much about him, or I've seen him play that much. But just looking at his stats, he's he's had seasons on loan in the, in the Dutch and Danish top flight as well. So you know, for, for someone who's in his mid 20s, he's a bit of a seasoned pro and you know, potentially an interesting option if it doesn't work out with Lewis, but. But yeah, I think that the fact that there are seemingly other names in the frame speaks to the point that Liverpool won't be kind of have off on this deal. You know, there's always a point at which Michael Edwards and, and the club will walk away, um, especially when, as we said before, this not to say this is a luxury sign, and I think it would be a necessary sign and to get some kind of cover for Robertson for, for the reasons we've said. But it's not like he's going to come in and be a first team who's expected to play 40 games. So, uh, yeah, I think this it's... It's far from a done deal from from what we've um, we've heard and what Paul's reported so far, but but yeah, things seem to be stacked in Liverpool's favour at present. Um, so yeah, we'll see, see how it pans out. Yeah, Konstantinos Simikas. It's one of those set fast and furiously, Sean, and you certainly can't be uh, can't be judged on it. Be confident in your delivery. But uh, I suppose one thing, though, if that is an alternative, Matt, one thing that really is in the favour of Jamal Lewis is that homegrown status, because with Liverpool losing a few players this summer that have obviously been brought up in the British Isles, they are reduced on numbers of those those homegrown talents. Yeah, absolutely. The, the likes of Adam Lallana moving on does sort of increase the, the importance of that. And I think, I suppose, if anything, that will just mean that a couple of million is probably added to Jamal Lewis's price tag, to be honest. I think that's something that Norwich will be keen to, to point out, that it would be helping Liverpool in that respect. So, yeah, I suppose it, it's certainly something that Michael Edwards and, and Jurgen Klopp will think about. I'm sure it's you know they're not in any desperate need to bring in players um, just because they are homegrown, homegrown or, or anything like that. It's you know all part of of the wider plan, and I think you know that will be an aspect of the deal. But the main thing is that, as we've said, he's the perfect sort of profile, really. And you know, just from watching the Olympiakos highlights from last night with Simakas. Um, just checking my notes there. Um, yeah, no, he he does seem, you know, from the limited amount that I have uh, have seen of him, it's he seems to be a, a similar sort of profile. So it's it's obviously an area of the pitch that, that Liverpool are looking to strengthen. And again, it just comes down to to the price and what will happen. I suppose if you know, as Sean says, if the the price is too high for Liverpool, they will move on. They're not, you know, they won't be unprepared to do that. But the fact that we know such a, a big amount about the deal, the fact that we know Liverpool are, are interested in him suggests really that they're fairly confident, I would think, that a deal could be moved forward over the next few days. Yeah, certainly is one to keep an eye on and 
as Sean's alluded to, keep an eye on the, the Liverpool Echo website. Paul Gorst keeping uh, across this story every step of the way. So if you want to find the news first, do head to the Echo website. The Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo. Well, let's get on to some other transfer lines then. And one name that won't go away, Theo, is that of Thiago Alcantara. Yeah, it seems uh, the Bayern Munich manager has basically resigned to the fact that he probably will move on this summer. Um, it's funny how all the talk from this transfer does seem to be coming from the Bayern end, doesn't it? Whether it's uh, Ruminiger saying that he wants to go. Uh, previously, Flip, the manager, had said he'd want to keep the player. But now he's said, I can understand why he'd want to move on. And for me, it's, I suppose, something you can compare to Cristiano Ronaldo. The fact that he'd done it in Premier League, he'd done it in Spain, and then he went to Juventus at that age. He knew it was a big last payday to prove he can do it at another level. Well, with uh, Thiago, he's done it in Spain, he's done it in Germany, and you can understand why he'd want to move to Liverpool. But then it's one where, as we keep saying the whole way through, he is currently not an active target. Liverpool don't really need another midfield option unless someone leaves the club. And it's something that we're going to keep saying until there is movement elsewhere. I know um, Gorsty has asked a few times and he keeps getting told the same thing. It's not happening as it stands. Uh, the concern for me is um, Gini Wijnaldum. Like we're into the last 12 months of his contract now. And I'm going to put my neck on the line and say, I reckon he's off just because you compare it to Emre Chan, It's the same position, isn't it? You think you just assume a deal is going to get done. But then the longer it goes on, when the sound is, oh, we want it to get done. We're not worried about it but nothing happens. And it's almost entering that territory now where he's going to be linked to more teams. And you could see him moving on. Um, wouldn't begrudge Genie and a move. There's a lot of competition for places in that Liverpool midfield and he knows he's going to eventually drop down the pecking order as he gets older. He could easily get, say, a move to a Juventus, a Barcelona, a Bayern Munich and just be a first-choice midfielder and winning leagues year in, year out where he doesn't have to fight for his team, um, for his role in the team. And he'd probably be allowed a role that he gets for the Netherlands. Um, and then it's just one where, well, does he go now? Does he want to be cashed in on if Liverpool need to raise funds? Or does he just wait and go on a free transfer next year? Um, obviously, could be completely wrong here. But I'm just seeing those similarities to Emre Chan now. And you could understand why he himself is in the same position as Thiago. Might want that big final payday to prove he can do it on another level elsewhere, having achieved all he really needs to achieve at Liverpool with the Premier League winner's medal and a Champions League winner's medal. Yeah, it is an interesting thought, Sean. And I was thinking, as Theo started there, about Thiago, that if we've been talking about left-backs, as we have so much during the podcast so far this afternoon, that if a left-back comes in, well, James Milner will probably more than likely solely be used in that central midfield role. So Liverpool probably well catered for there, but with, without needing to, to throw in a pun there. Uh, but then Liverpool, looking at the Wijnaldum situation, will be keeping a very, very keen eye on that. Absolutely, yeah. I mean, Theo's kind of said it all, really, in terms of what we've been been told that the stay from the club is that he's not an active target. Um, but things can change, and I, I do think this is a window uh, and a situation in terms of the wider football and financial climate where there, there will be a lot of variables. And as Theo's alluded to, I, I have to say, I, I agree with him on Wijnaldum. I think he's he's occupied a kind of selfless role for Liverpool um, and it, it does always seem, especially over the last couple of seasons, such a contrast to what he does do at international level. And he, he has these these spells where he'll go away for a couple of games and usually scores, gets an assist uh, for Holland, and then comes back and he's and he's back into his kind of grafting, enabling midfield role for role for Liverpool. And 
it's not to say that it isn't exciting. It's, it's absolutely exciting if you're a Champions League winner and a Premier League winner, as, as Theo says, and he is, a, he is a key cog in this Liverpool team. But but he's he's a facilitator, isn't he? Rather than someone who's who's necessarily getting on the end of things. It's it's why that Barcelona performance when he when he got those goals was kind of such a not an unexpected thing, but it was just it was just quite different, wasn't it, to what we're used to seeing from him. So I think that's one key variable. I think you look at the situation of some of the fringe players, the likes of Gruyich, Wilson, um, some of whom perhaps occupy, well, certainly in Gruyich's case, would occupy a, a central midfield position that, say, someone like Thiago would. Uh, what's going to happen with them? First of all, are they, are they going to come back? Um, will Liverpool be able to get a sufficient price for them if they are to move on uh, and make a saving on their wages? Um, the one thing, though, I, I do wonder whether Liverpool have potentially been been waiting on some clarity with is 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 the Nike stuff, the, the kit stuff. Because Gorsley wrote a piece this week where he was saying um, he's club insiders have suggested that projections in terms of the initial sales have, have blown them away, and, and they've been huge. And I, I, you know, it's, in terms of a club who, who rely on data and you know analysis and all that type of type of thing on and off the pitch, it must have been quite difficult to put together what what the expectations were for, for you know this kit launch and these kit sales and especially with everything that's going on and you know quite a lot of hardship and and you know individual household family situations and financial situations kind of uh, all up in the air given what's happened but it, it does sound like things have been on that front very good so maybe maybe when you know the transfer window cracks on and we get into Later into August and September, things might look a little bit rosier financially for Liverpool, and then things like certain players not being active targets that might that might change. Um, so yeah, we'll we'll see. But I think that the other the other factor, I guess, is is keeping an eye on what the likes of United and City are doing, and, and is there a point where a little bit of strengthening and, and freshening up the dressing room might might feel like it's even more necessary? But um, plenty of time still in this window, I suppose, for, for Liverpool to make a move. Yeah, Matt, it does it does feel a bit like one massive game of poker, really, between those in the, the top six and the transfer market. We know there's still two months left to go. We've gone from this situation where, for the last couple of seasons, the window slammed shut just before the first round of fixtures are getting underway, whereas this season it's going to be open all the way until the 5th of October. And as Sean says there, that actually will enable Liverpool, as it will all other clubs, chance to see what the financial impact of the, the coronavirus situation is on the, the whole wider footballing landscape as well as Liverpool maybe with things like the Nike deal see what commercial and transfer successes they have in terms of bringing money into the club yeah absolutely I mean in, in normal circumstances Jurgen Klopp's always made absolutely clear that he wants players to arrive before pre-season or, or certainly not too far into pre-season but you know, that simply probably isn't going to be the case this season it, it's just not the way it's going to happen so I think for for the first time really Liverpool will actually be looking at it the other way around and thinking the longer that they leave it, the less risk there almost is surrounding it with not just the Nike deal, but we don't know exactly when fans are going to be allowed back into stadiums, whether that's done in, in stages or whatever. Even if Anfield was, you know, twenty percent full, that would still, you know, help temper that to a certain degree. So yeah, I suppose it's, you know, October the fifth, isn't it, the deadline? That's a long, long way away, as you say, you know, things can change between now and then. And yeah, as I say for the first time and, and probably the last time as well, if we're honest, Liverpool might actually be looking to to wait on a few transfer deals and, and not give away too much too soon. But uh, you know, just in terms of the point of, of looking at, at United and, and Chelsea and, and other teams spending, I think I'm not how I'm not sure how influenced Liverpool will be in terms of that. I just think 
you know they've been so far in front this season i think you look at uh, chelsea in particular they've still got a lot of gaping holes in their first 11 that they need to fill you know if they go out and spend another 150 million and, and get themselves the the center back the left back the goalkeeper that they need then maybe then you might change your position but you know look i think kai havertz if um by Leverkusen go out of, of the Europa League, there's a good chance that that will get announced next week. But I don't think any of these deals really should push Liverpool into to doing something that they wouldn't already do. I think you know, if Liverpool do wait and they do spend later, um, that will simply just be a part of, of the wider plan and, and the wider strategy this summer. Yeah, I suppose the lockdown threatened to unhinge all the good work Liverpool had done on the pitch before the, the null and voiders were... Uh, sent packing and now I suppose Theo there's a bit more uncertainty with the transfer window just wonder how it sits with you I suppose it won't do your Twitter notifications any good all the the waiting around fans are impatient they want to see deals they want to see them done immediately but it is a weird one for Liverpool it is a weird one but it's almost a nice uh, change of pace because for older fans they'll remember players coming in during the season before we had the transfer windows and it does give a squad a boost um, and it's especially with Liverpool, they haven't had that in recent years because Jurgen Klopp is so determined to have his squad ready for the start of pre-season. And you can see why that makes sense. Like You speak to players in pre-season and it makes such a difference for them when they're with the club they're going to spend the season with and they get the whole summer with their teammates, getting used to the manager's style and all that. But that's already out the window with the fact that it's going to be this shorter pre-season and all the uncertainty and differences they've had in recent months. So it's almost where Liverpool can just well, see it as carrying on from the good work from last year, see where the squad is at, and then strengthen as they go along. Um, personally, I quite like the idea of it being in October because it means we might get a busy deadline day for once, uh, see how things go. And it's also one to keep an eye on that Liverpool would still be able to sign players from the lower leagues after that October the 5th deadline. So whilst we might be saying Andy Robertson might be a bit uh, tired, he won't be able to do a full season playing week in, week out again, he could easily do the first two months of the season and then Liverpool go back to Norwich after that October the 5th deadline when they've got this extra week and see if they can force their hand there. It's an interesting one to keep an eye on. Um, and it just makes it more interesting, doesn't it? Rather than seeing all the teams getting the deals early and you know, you're basically having weeks of, oh, we've got a deadline day, but nothing will really happen. Where now we just don't know. There are question marks over so many players in this Liverpool squad. Um, not the first teamers, but the ones like Harry Wilson, Jordan Shaqiri, Marco Grosch, where you don't know where their future is going to be. You don't know if people are going to come in for them. And if they do, whether Liverpool are going to get the fees that they had hoped for in the past. And then it's like, if Liverpool, before coronavirus, they wanted, or they had an interest in going for a Timo Werner, for example, could they find the funds to go for a big forward again? Or would they just want a left-back, centre-back, all this sort of thing? Uh, they do need to take this next step in their development to ensure the season they've just had isn't a one-off because Manchester City will be right up there again next year. And it's just one to keep an eye on. Klopp will know exactly how tough a task it is going to be. And he'll have full faith in his squad, as he said in the past, but he knows he needs to strengthen if he's going to keep them at the very top of English football for the next few years. Yeah, it is one that we are going to certainly be keeping an eye across on the uh, Liverpool Echo website. But let's get into news then that has come out today, Sean, and that being the Premier League's end of season awards. And no surprise whatsoever that Liverpool have somebody in both the Young Player of the Year, the Player of the Year, and obviously Jurgen Klopp heading up the, the Manager of the Year shortlist. It's been a fantastic year for Liverpool. And I have to say straight away, it'd be a surprise if maybe Liverpool didn't win all three in those categories. 
Absolutely, yeah. You could you could well you could well see a clean sweep. Um well well, where do you want to start? I mean, I, I guess should we should we start with young player? I think that, that was the one that was announced first, wasn't it, this morning? Um yeah, I, I think I think that one in particular, I just don't see how it cannot be Trent Alexander Arnold. There's, there's some good other players nominated with him there. I think Dean Henderson would be would be a worthy winner. He's he's been a massive part of um his team's solidity this season, helping to a top half finish. Um you know, sometimes I think if you play for a lesser team or, or a promoted team, it can be quite easy to look good as a goalkeeper because you, you're getting peppered, aren't you? And you're not necessarily expected to, to to kind of make that many saves. But when you make up, you get the opportunity essentially to make a lot of good saves and and, and look good in that respect. Um, but he's he's been he's been different. You know, they've only conceded what is it? I think it's only thirty odd goals, isn't it, this season? Um, and yeah, a big part of that. But. Other, other than him, um, maybe maybe a couple of the United lads, like Rashford and Martial, were both nominated in fair play. You know, I think they each scored seventeen goals in in the league, um, and and would be would be in, in another season kind of worthy winners. But for Trent to get four goals, uh, just beat Robertson, didn't he? Got 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 thirteen assists. That's an absolutely phenomenal return from from right back. Um, and given that the team only conceded thirty three in the league as well, it shows how good a job he's doing at both ends of the pitch. I think sometimes is. His defensive ability is is maligned because of how good he is going forward, and obviously, yeah, the, the, like, like we hinted on before, in terms of the midfield's role at Liverpool, that the fullbacks are given a bit of license to go forward, um, and you know they, they join that attack and almost make a line of five at times. So the up front, but but yeah, I think Trent, twenty one years of age, arguably already the best in the world in his position, and and he, he absolutely thriving this season. So so yeah, I think he's he's a show in for that, um, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, he's one to, to keep an eye on. And it's one that I think every year Theo throws up a surprise of, oh, how's, how's his name on the Young Player of the Year uh, shortlist? I thought that for Anthony Martial this year, but it's any players who are 23 at the start of the season. Trent goes into this next season only as a 21-year-old. So even if he wins it this year, he, he's got three more years in which he could potentially defend this award. Just shows how good he is, isn't he? I think we've all said the call before that he is a PFA Player of the Year and waiting just is his, how his good he is, his quality, and that is consistency. He's delivering this now as a 21-year-old, having played at the World Cup, played in Champions League finals and all that, and he is just going to get better. Um, <laughs> whether he's playing at right-back or he's playing in midfield, he is going to be a star man for Liverpool for years to club. Uh, he's already beaten his record this year, and you wouldn't bet against him beating again next year. Um, the only thing for me with these awards is it's interesting how different they're going to be perceived now with we've had this break in the season because you can't tell me that Greenwood's on that list if it hadn't been for his performances since lockdown. It's almost as though we're seeing it as two separate seasons, like your views on it. You don't really remember who was good for the majority of the season and it's just on this last few weeks, last couple of months. So you'd say, what, Kevin De Bruyne's been the star man because Liverpool hadn't been at the same standards as they were for the rest of the season. And you'd probably give it to a United player again because Liverpool hadn't been at the same standards. But if you look at it the whole season, there's no way you can't say give one to Henderson and give one to Alexander-Arnold. Liverpool have just been that good. And I think, this again, they've been the victims of their own success that the longer it's been and with that gap as well, it's almost been overlooked because you just expect it from them. Whereas those surprises elsewhere... Um, this one, the Premier League one, it's a fans' vote, isn't it? So it's whether Liverpool uh, Twitter, Liverpool Facebook and all that, they can be a bit more vocal 
than uh, from elsewhere, as opposed to the players voting for it. But Liverpool would be deserving winners. But if Trent doesn't get it, you wouldn't say he's, uh, he'd be too worried because he's got the medal that means most to him. He said that in all the post-match interviews after lifting the trophy, after winning the league. Um, he'll probably win a, one of these awards at some point in the next few years, whether it's the main one or the young one. He is just that good. Yeah, and Trent's the only player, Matt, into the, the Young Player of the Year award from Liverpool. The rest are Martial, Rashford, Greenwood, Pulisic, Mount, Henderson, and Jack Grealish is also in that. But but for Player of the Year, of the seven-man shortlist, three of them come from Liverpool, and Trent's up for that one as well. Yeah, Trent, Sadio Mane, and, and Jordan Henderson, predictably. I think, you know, obviously, I can only echo what the lads have said about Trent Alexander-Arnold. I mean, what more can you say other than, you know, he is essentially Liverpool's Kevin De Bruyne from right-back. He's just, you know, for me, the, the best right-back in the world at the moment. He's redefined that position. And you know, we, we come back to it every few weeks, don't we? Should we move Trent Alexander-Arnold into midfield? And for me, the, the answer is is absolutely no. But I suppose that is a conversation for Another day, just, you know, in terms of the other two, I mean, Sadio Mane has, has been incredible. Jordan Henderson, we've seen, has obviously won the, the FWA version of, of the award as well. So, yeah, all three of them absolutely deserving to be on the list. And for me, Mohamed Salah should be on there as well when you look at a couple of the other names on that list. I mean, don't get me wrong, Danny Ings is, is fantastic. Nick Pope is a brilliant goalkeeper, but you can't tell me that Mohamed Salah is not a better striker than Nick Pope is a goalkeeper. So, Look, they, they've all had fantastic seasons, but I would imagine as much as Mohamed Salah is probably delighted that Liverpool have, have won the Premier League, I'm sure he won't be best pleased at, at looking at that list and, and his name not being there. No, and I was going to say Virgil van Dijk can probably feel a bit hard done by that he's not on the list as well. But at the end of the day, you would have had a, a full Liverpool FC shortlist to choose <laughs> from three of the seven are Liverpool players. But Sean then will finally wrap things up on the, the manager of the season award. Only four in this, a former Liverpool manager, but crucially Jurgen Klopp, Chris Wilder, Frank Lampard and Brendan Rodgers are the other contenders. But maybe bar Chris Wilder, it doesn't really seem as though there's much competition for Jurgen Klopp on this one. No, I, I, on this one, I'd, I'd make a similar point to what to what Theo said before. Almost feel with with manager of the year, it's a bit. It off, this often happens, doesn't it? Where you have managers at the top end of the table competing with ones who've done a phenomenal job, um, with with different resources, and almost an, it's almost an entirely different job, isn't it? What Wilder's done compared to what Klopp's done, um, you know, it, you kind of need a different skill set. Um, you, you've got different resources. You know, it's, how can you say? Spending spending a lot of money very well as you know that's quite a generalisation, but that's what Klopp, Guardiola, and Co do is is comparable to to what Wilder's done, where he's you know much less money, but he's he's built an incredible team, incredible work ethic, um, and and maximised what he's got to finish top half of the table. Yeah, I, I think you're right. It's 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 between those two. Um, and to be honest, if, if if votes on this went to Wilder, I'd almost think you you couldn't begrudge in that. Um, he'd be a worthy winner. Then it would almost make a make what Klopp and Guardiola have done and, and the, the bar that they've they've raised the Premier League to seem like the new normal, if you like. And I think I think it should go to Klopp almost because it needs to be recognised over the last couple of seasons how how ridiculous it is what what City and Liverpool are doing. You know, ninety seven points, ninety nine points for Liverpool. Um, you would not rule out mid to high nineties again next season. Um, and I think, like we said before, other, other teams are going to spend what they already are. Um, and, and the level of competition will increase, but Liverpool haven't lost anyone. Um, I think one of their key strengths over the last season has been how, how they've kept everyone together and just 
built that squad and that and that hunger and desire and the familiarity those players have with each other. It, it's all there and it'll be there again next season. So, yeah, I think either Klopp or Wilder will be worthy winners. But I think to to just almost emphasise how high the standards are in the Premier League at the moment, I think you give that one to Jürgen. Yeah, each of the last three years, the the first time that the uh, league title has been won by more than 95 points. It is remarkable the levels that Man City and Liverpool have taken the Premier League to and Sean, nice use of the uh, the phrase the new normal in the right context for the first time <laughs> after months and months well that wraps things up for us here on this edition of the Blood Red Podcast don't forget if you want Liverpool FC news straight into your email inbox, do sign up for the twice daily LFC newsletter courtesy of the Liverpool Echo it means when you wake up in the morning you can uh, roll straight over, check your emails and all of your LFC news is right there for you. Description, uh, sorry, link for the uh, newsletter is in the description of the podcast. So do check that one out. But from myself, Guy Clark, Theo Squires, Sean Bradbury and Matt Addison, thanks for your time and company. It's bye for now. You've been listening to the Blood Red Podcast from the Liverpool Echo.